Today, we're talking about the Mr. Beast backlash with people saying that he's farming psychological torture for content, this wild little Tay situation and the allegations coming out, bedbugs rampaging through Paris, student loan payments restarting, this chaotic Kevin McCarthy situation. And we've got this bullying scandal that might make your blood boil if you're anything like me. We're gonna talk about all that and so much more on today's brand new Philip DeFranco show, you daily dive into the news. So just make sure you're subscribed and let's jump into it. Starting with, Mr. Beast is now facing backlash and has found himself in a scandal thanks to his latest challenge. And this because he recently tweeted a photo of a very white, sterile, futuristic looking room and said, would you spend 100 days in this room with a random stranger for $500,000? Door is unlocked. If one of you leave before day 100, you both lose. I'm about to run this experiment. Let's see how they do. And while some were excited to see how this plays out, a lot of people immediately slammed him and compared this to torture. Some even going as far as to say it feels like we're just days away from Mr. Beast making his own version of the Stanford prison experiment. And others writing things like he really lived long enough to become the villain and psychologically damaging people with the promise of money for a YouTube video is insane, actually. And others saying, I'd respect Mr. Beast so much more if he just owned the fact that he thrives off of pitting the working class against each other for his entertainment rather than pretending he's just a silly little guy. There were those people arguing he's not the humanitarian that he presents himself to be, that if he wanted to just like better other people's lives, he would just do that. Right, I guess like if everything that he did was like the Mr. Beast philanthropy channel. And I think what also got this a lot more attention was he also did this other tweet, writing, I messed up. I bought a random grocery store and told a random person I'd give him $10,000 every day he lives in it, and it's been weeks and he shows no signs of ever leaving. I'm gonna go broke. And then the replies explaining that the person's been in there for over a month, that the windows of the store have been blacked out and the door is locked. But of course, like all things that blow up on social media, not everyone's on the same page. While well, you've got some people tweeting that he's gone full-blown, wealthy comic book villain with Black Mirror-esque ideas, you have others saying he's not forcing anyone to do these things. That every game show is essentially a person who needs money, trying to do things to win money. With people saying things like, you know, I can't even remember the last time I watched a game show when there wasn't some sort of pity story. And some people going even further to argue that Mr. Beast's content is tame by comparison to how mainstream is so exploitative. But now with all all that said, I gotta pass the question off to you. Where do you stand on this Mr. Beast news? You can talk about it as a whole, but also specific challenges because things like the uh, the the supermarket and the two people in a place together for 100 days, those are not necessarily the same thing. In one situation, you have a person that is a winner on day one. It's just how much are they going to win? And the other seems way more crazy. But again, I'd love to know your thoughts here. And then, do y'all remember Lil Tay? Years ago, she was that nine-year-old girl that had this weird burst of huge online fame before disappearing from social media. Well, following that weird death hoax that happened back in August, she's back on social media. Right, all these years later, she's now 14 years old, and uh, there's a lot of conversation happening on social media right now considering, one, all the things that happened before she kind of just disappeared, and two, how she's come back. Right back then, there were allegations that her father, Chris Hope, was abusing her, trying to profit off of her online stardom. Though then, someone identified as Lil Tay's manager denied those accusations, accusing Lil Tay's brother of trying to use her as a cash cow. So there was this really messy back and forth, but now we have updates from Lil Tay herself, who explained her story on Instagram Live. Where they're saying that her father is abusive and responsible for her going dark online. Five years ago, I became famous and my abusive absentee father, who had not been in my life for years up till that point, decided to come back into my life to take control over my career and my money. That's why I disappeared. He started a court case. He started a court case to silence me so I could not speak on what was happening and so he could take control over my money. And then, because of the way that YouTube treats these kinds of stories involving minors, we can't really get into any of the details, but Lil Tay made several claims of both physical abuse and misconduct by her father and his girlfriend. And many of those actually centering specifically around her father and his current wife. Also claiming that they fed her moldy and rotten food, that they gave her damaged and old clothes to wear to school while the new wife was getting designer purses. And saying now he owes her $250,000 in child support and also accusing her father of being racist. Do you know one of the reasons that he 
said to the court that he should have custody of me after I became famous. He said it was because my mom was letting me associate with black and Hispanic people in the entertainment industry. She then accused the media of sharing false stories about her family and her mother, with Lil Tay saying that her mother was always supportive and was actually also a victim of her father's abuse. Also slamming the media for constantly citing her manager as a source because she said she never had one. As long as you claim to be my manager, they would just take your word for it. As long as you, as long as anyone claimed that my mom got fired from her job just for controversy purposes, they would just report on it, even though it's not True. And she also went on to accuse her father of being behind that big death hoax, saying he was working with a man pretending to be her manager and trying to turn the news into a crypto scheme. Their plan was to fake my death and then promote the crypto coin. And ultimately she ended the stream by saying that after her father tried to exploit her, steal her money, she is now free from him and able to speak out. And now actually with all this, she's posted a new music video that's trending on YouTube and getting a lot of attention. So if you look at the likes to dislikes on that, there's been a mixed reaction, which there the same could be said regarding the things that she said during her live stream, which is why with all that, I gotta pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts with this news? And then the story that's just come out of the school on Long Island just keeps getting more and more horrifying. Right, so it begins several years ago when an unidentified girl that we'll call Rose starts getting bullied in the sixth grade by one girl in particular who we'll call Karen, with Karen constantly inflicting misery on Rose during lunch and recess according to court filings and leading to Rose's parents to contact the assistant principal numerous times. But the assistant just tells them to fill out a formal complaint, and when they do, the school's investigation comes back as unfounded. Then we fast forward to COVID. You have schools shutting down, Rose presumably gets some minor relief, but in fall of 2021, the lockdowns lift and Rose enters ninth grade at Smithtown West High School. She qualifies for the varsity cheer team alongside Karen, and thankfully, things seem to have settled down because the season goes by without incident. But as Karen befriends another girl and joins her clique, they reportedly begin teasing Rose again for being, quote, weird, which leads to the following summer when Rose attends a house party where, what do you know, Karen's there. And so as soon as she gets there, Karen and several other cheerleaders allegedly surround her and one sneers, I kissed a boy that you like, which is immediately followed by another sneaking up from behind, allegedly grabbing her hair and yanking her down to the ground. Next, Karen and two other girls allegedly punch and kick Rose, also pulling out her hair. And then a fourth filming the whole fucking thing and posting it on social media, leading Rose to get bullied even more on Snapchat. So understandably feeling so alone and lost with this, Rose quits the cheer team. And despite her parents alerting the coach, the athletic director and other administrators to what happened, even providing the video as proof, nothing is done. In fact, the cheer team then goes on to win a championship and an interview with Karen gets featured on the local news. And so naturally, with nothing being done to stop her abuser except giving her praise on TV, Rose is terrified to return to school the following year. So her parents just say, fuck it, and they put their house up for sale. And in the meantime, they get permission for her to take classes remotely while they find a buyer. But eventually, the school reneges, reportedly deeming the education she's receiving to be unacceptable. So they have Rose come back in person and they say, hey, you're getting a student escort walking her to and from classes, on-site security staff monitoring her well-being, but instead, according to her parents, she gets followed, screamed at in the hallways, staircases, and bathrooms, with the other girls throwing food at her, laughing at her, pointing at her, and telling her friends not to be friends with her. And so at this point, knowing the school's not gonna help and having tried other things, the parents are like, what do we do? And so Rose's parents actually get her an emotional support horse, and she loves horses and they have enough land for it. But just a few months later, right, enough time to bond with the animal, but not enough time to ride out the rest of the school year, the horse dies. With the parents simply saying it was, quote, tragically killed in front of her by the veterinarian. And so now, with no animal that was giving her, like, the slightest bit of joy, the bullying gets even worse worse because the little shits at school begin calling her horse girl. And then after yet another assault in the bathroom, Rose identifies Karen as the ringleader to administrators, but reportedly they say they believed the girl when she said she wasn't involved. So with the help of Rose's doctor, her parents get the school to allow her to finish the year with home tutoring. But one last time, Rose has to return to the building in May. And allegedly, the other girls get in one more assault, which once again, they film. And once again, nothing is done. And so now Rose's parents have filed a $6 million lawsuit against the district, with their lawyers saying there have been repeated cases over and over and over again where schools say they will take affirmative action.
action. Then they do absolutely nothing. And as it turns out, Smithtown has a history of this kind of thing. Right? Just last year, Great Hollow Middle School made headlines for a bullying scandal, with an LGBTQ teen's parents going to the media and blasting the district's alleged failure to stem four years of abuse. Then going back to 2014, a bus driver was actually fired for allegedly bullying kids aged five to 10 years old, with them saying he pushed them, shoved them, squished them in their seats, picked them up by their backpacks and dropped them and even made them kiss. And so now, maybe with some real legal action being taken, we'll see some genuine change. But also, it is important to realize that it's not just this one school. Right? Bullying is a nationwide, hell, a worldwide epidemic. Because the unfortunate truth is this shit happens everywhere, right? Some places don't care, some places don't believe it, other places are so fucking progressive, they're like, let's talk it out, even though this is the 15th fucking time that it happened. And unfortunately, it's one of those things as a parent, you don't know until your kid's already been at the school for a while. Which, hey, I'm not saying hide the real world from your children. But like, for example, I'm so thankful that I'm in a privileged enough position that I was able to move my kids to a school where they actually expel kids who are fucking dangerous and hurt people. Right? Mistakes and bad decisions happen, but when they happen over and over, it's a trend. And as teachers and the school administration, if you don't fucking do something about it, you are complicit. And the blame is also to be shared with the parents of people like Karen, but the schools are the ones with the ultimate power to do something there, and by not using it, that is also a choice. With that said, whether you or someone you know, their kids, whoever, have any sort of experience with this thing, I'd love if you'd share your story. And then, France has a massive problem right now as they prep for the Olympics coming next year, and that is bed bugs. And this getting a massive spotlight after videos of these little bastards have gone viral on platforms like TikTok. And here's the thing, it's not just in hotels and Airbnbs. Right? Some are afraid to even take a seat on the metro, while other videos show alleged bed bug bites after going to the movie theater. With it seeming pretty much like if there's a place for them to hide in Paris, they're there. But then, you know, you see this and you go, okay, well, how big of a problem is it. And so if you dive deeper into the situation, you find that between 2017 and 2022, about one in 10 French households were infested with bed bugs. And things like income didn't actually make a difference on whether a household was likely to get infected, just on how long it would last. Also, before you get too judgmental about that one in 10 number for comparison's sake, the US reports that about one in five households have this problem. Though, I do want to note, the videos going around social media right now seem to indicate that that one in 10 number might be a low estimate. But even if France as a whole is seemingly doing relatively well fighting bed bugs, Paris officials are taking the situation super seriously. And that could be because Paris might actually have a higher percentage of infestation, or it could just be the perception. Because even the perception that bed bugs are a problem could hurt tourism for the games. Which, I mean, if that happened, that's almost a guaranteed financial disaster for France. Though, and I think this is a notable thing, that wouldn't be uncommon. But if you look into it, pretty much all the games except the LA games have been disasters financial. But either way, Paris's deputy mayor wrote a letter to the prime minister stating, the state urgently needs to put an action plan in place against this scourge as France is preparing to welcome the Olympic and Paralympic games in 2024. With city officials vowing to do what they can to fight the problem, and the French transportation minister tweeting that he was going to meet with metro operators to discuss the issue. That being said, one of the ways that some residents are dealing with the potential of bed bugs is to change their clothes outside on their balconies to try and lower the risk of bringing them inside. And for those planning on going to the Olympics, make sure to check the corners of mattresses and other crevices or bed bugs. And then when you come home, throw all your clothes directly into the laundry and wash them and vacuum your suitcase and toss what you just vacuumed. And also understand that even with all that, it's not guaranteed to keep them out, but it'll probably serve you a lot better than just, you know, throwing your suitcase on the bed. Also, ah, even just talking about bed bugs, now I'm just feeling things on my skin. So if this story just did that to you. I'm so sorry. And then this is the day tens of millions of Americans have been dreading. It is the beginning of October, and that means that student loan payments have officially resumed after three years. And this is tens of millions of Americans owe more than a trillion dollars in student loan debt, and many of them are getting their very first bill this month after payments were initially paused back in March of 2020. And already we've seen some problems as millions move to make the first payments in years, including incorrect billing, glitchy websites, and long hold times. Now, th there is a silver lining here, though that might, that, that, that might not be the right way to put it. 
but maybe it's better to say the hammer coming down on the heads of tens of millions of Americans, it's uh, it's a little uh, padded. And that's because the 12 month on-ramp transition period allows borrowers to miss a payment without it being reported to a credit bureau marked as default or sent to collections. So that'll stretch from now until September 30th, 2024. However, very key thing, interest does continue to accrue through this on-ramp period as it has since September 1st of this year. And important with all this, following the Supreme Court's ruling against his initial student loan forgiveness plan, Biden introduced a new income-driven repayment plan called SAVE, which calculates payments based on the family's income and size. Where some individuals and families below a certain threshold won't have to make any payments at all, which, coupled with the promise of balanced forgiveness after a certain number of years, can be a great relief to those struggling to make ends meet. And actually with that, the Department of Education says that it's reached out to nearly 30 million borrowers, inviting them to apply for this plan. But for now, we're gonna have to wait to see how this first month repayments plays out and how the Biden SAVE plan works in actual action. And then, for any of you focused on getting your business off the ground, creating a place to share your homemade goods, or even a personal blog, I got a great solution for you. And it comes from, and I want to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Squarespace. You know, I've been partnering with Squarespace for years now, and I have to say, it is just so easy. There's nothing to install, patch, or update ever. And creating a beautiful website with Squarespace's Fluid Engine is so easy. You just drag things where you like, no coding necessary. And if you need a starting point, Squarespace has a bunch of great professional templates. You can even sell custom merch easily, with Squarespace handling all the production and shipping. Plus, with Squarespace, you get access to all their marketing tools and analytics, and their award-winning customer care team via email or live chat 24-7. So go check it out. See why so many others love it. See why you're going to love it and start your free trial today over at squarespace.com fill. When you realize you've made the right decision, just make sure you enter an offer code fill to get 10% off your first purchase. And then the actors and the studios are finally hitting the negotiating table today. But what does that mean? Well, you know, they've been on strike for around 80 days now. And if the studios actually want TV and film to be made again, they need to get them back to work with the writers. And so talking points between SAG and the AMPTP today will likely include residuals, minimum rates, and the use of AI. And while some have said the writer's deal lays down the groundwork for the actors, others think that it's far more complicated. With SAG President Fran Drescher telling CNN that one size doesn't fit all for these contracts. And other reports noting that AI poses an especially big risk for actors. And actually, with that specifically, you had actor Justine Bateman, who's an advisor for AI talks and SAG's negotiations, writing in a Twitter thread. While writers and directors have multiple scripts slash directions, actors have just one face, body, voice. Once their body movements, voice, gestures, and essence is freely put in an AI blender, our business is all but finished. And you know, we've talked about how deadly this could be for background actors, but she also noted that it could kill actual movie stars as well, saying the most famous actors have the greatest risk here. The prompts are going to be, or continue to be, give me a female character who looks like Jennifer Lawrence and Megan Fox, moves like Meryl Streep and Silkwood, dances like Ginger Rogers with a Penelope Cruz accent. And notably right now, there are zero protections on this front, which is why some of the biggest names have spoken out against AI, especially regarding consent for use. With Zelda Williams, the daughter of Robin Williams, writing on Instagram, I am not an impartial voice in SAG's fight against AI. I've witnessed for years how many people want to train these models to create slash recreate actors who cannot consent like dad. This isn't theoretical. It is very, very real. And adding that it's always personally disturbed her to see people use AI to make her father's voice say anything. But the issue here is bigger than just her. Adding, living actors deserve a chance to create characters with their choices, to voice cartoons, to put their human effort and time into the pursuit of performance. And adding that at their worst, these voice recreations are a horrendous Frankensteinian monster cobbled together from the worst bits of everything this industry is. You also had Tom Hanks making a brief statement about how AI has been used to recreate his own likeness without permission. But I'm also warning people that there's a video promoting some dental plan using an AI of himself that he has nothing to do with, so don't fall for it. Right, so in part, what we're seeing with these negotiations are the industry, because the law hasn't, 
catching up with the technology, or at least that's some of the hope coming from these negotiations. So we're gonna have to wait to see what happens on all these fronts. But that's also not the end of the strike news. Right? We've seen so many industries standing up saying we deserve more. And what we're looking at right now is potentially the largest strike of healthcare workers in US history. Right? And so here we're looking at the contract for more than 75,000 Kaiser Permanente workers. And that's because it officially expired on Saturday night. And if a deal is not reached beforehand, they are preparing to go on a three-day strike starting Wednesday. With the workers being represented by the coalition of Kaiser Permanente unions, which include nurses, therapists, technicians, maintenance workers, and janitorial staff. And the coalition of unions secured an authorization vote from their membership last month for a strike in five states in Washington, D.C. Notably, unlike in other industries where a strike, right, it takes time to see the effects. With this being healthcare, the impact on the care of thousands of patients would be immediate. But remember, as always, an authorization doesn't mean a strike is happening for sure. The two sides still negotiating and there's time for an 11th hour deal to come through. Whether or not that's likely to happen, it depends on who you ask. With the company saying, hey, the negotiations are making progress and pleading with the union not to strike. But the coalition saying negotiations remain far apart on key issues and they're actually accusing the company of bargaining in bad faith. And as far as what they're trying to get, you have the workers asking for the company to hire an additional 10,000 employees in 2023 to ease the staffing crisis that they're currently facing. They also objected to the 4% pay raise offered by Kaiser Permanente saying that it doesn't match the rising cost of living. So as of right now, we don't know what's going to happen, but you do have the company saying they have a contingency plan to ensure patient care should the workers strike this week. But ultimately, we're going to have to wait to see how those negotiations go. But again, not the only strike news. It just never stops because this comes just as California Governor Gavin Newsom struck down a bill that would give striking workers unemployment pay. Right, and that bill was inspired by the hot labor summer that we all just lived through, and it would have offered workers who were on strike for more than two weeks unemployment checks from the state for as much as $450 a week. Then Newsom shot it down, saying that the fund that the state uses is already $18 billion in debt, and adding, now is not the time to increase costs or incur this sizable debt. You have labor unions argue that the number of workers actually on strike for two weeks or more is so small that it wouldn't have a major effect on the state's unemployment trust fund. And this is you have the executive secretary treasurer of the California Labor Federation adding, this tips the scales further in favor of corporations and CEOs and punishes workers who exercise their fundamental right to strike. At a time when public support of unions and strikes are at an all-time high, this veto is out of step with American values. And notably, all this happening as Newsom has now and in the past vocally offered his support to workers and has also enjoyed several campaign contributions from labor unions. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this changes the needle for him or if it does. And then, is this the end of Kevin McCarthy's leadership? Right? That's what many people are asking now that Matt Gates, one of McCarthy's biggest critics, has said that he will officially move to oust him as House Speaker this week after he worked with Democrats to avert a government shutdown. With this happening after just mere hours before an anticipated government shutdown, McCarthy made an absolutely shocking reversal and decided, you know what? I'm actually not going to let a handful of far-right Republicans hold the whole government hostage. And the House then passing a bipartisan bill to keep the government funded until November by a huge margin of 335 to just 91. And it's important to understand that this was an absolutely massive move for McCarthy, who had previously refused to bring bipartisan proposals down to the floor to avoid a shutdown because the far-right faction of his party had threatened to oust him as Speaker if he worked with Democrats. So now what we're seeing from Gates is him following through on his threat, with him telling CNN yesterday. I do intend to file a motion to vacate against Speaker McCarthy this week. I think we need to this rip week. off the Band-Aid. I think we need to move on with new leadership that can be trustworthy. Right, so a motion to vacate is a procedural move that would essentially set up a vote on stripping McCarthy's speakership. And notably, under House rules that McCarthy himself agreed to when he was first elected as Speaker in order to get enough votes from far-right Republicans, only one member of the House needs to make the motion in order for it to be brought to the floor. Though in order to actually oust McCarthy, you need a simple majority of the House, 218 members when everyone's present, to say, get the hell out. Which very notably, if that were to happen, it would actually be historic because a motion to vacate has never succeeded before. And right now, there's a lot of different opinions on whether the votes will be there. Because as far as Republicans, when it comes to ousting the Speaker, that's something that's only supported by far-right Republicans and widely opposed by moderates. But it's not like House Democrats are fans of McCarthy. So there's this question of will Democrats sign his eviction notice? Now, as far as McCarthy, he has remained confident that there won't be enough votes, with him telling CBS yesterday. Yes, I'll survive. You know, this is personal with Matt. He's more more 
interested in securing TV interviews than doing something. He wanted to push us into a shutdown. So be it, bring it on, let's get over with it, and let's start governing. If he's upset because he tried to push us in a shutdown and I made sure government didn't shut down, then let's have that fight. And there you even have Gates himself seeming to acknowledge that he's fighting a losing battle. Though he's also been trying to paint this as the Democrats' fault if his motion to vacate fails. The only way Kevin McCarthy is Speaker of the House at the end of this coming week is if Democrats bail him out. Now, they probably will. I actually think that when you believe in nothing, as Kevin McCarthy does, everything's negotiable. Okay, but let's and I think be, he'll cut be, a deal with, be, with the Democrats. Let's be. Right now, it's really unclear how the Democrats are going to move forward. So far, as of filming, there have only been a few members who have voiced their opinions, and even those are divided. This including Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who said she would absolutely vote to end McCarthy's speakership. And adding, I think Kevin McCarthy is a very weak speaker. He clearly has lost control of his caucus. It's not up to Democrats to save Republicans from themselves. But AOC's views there aren't necessarily representative of other Democrats, or even just progressives. Right, because you also had another member of the progressive Progressive Caucus Representative Steve Cohen saying he wouldn't vote to oust McCarthy. And this is Democratic leadership has remained silent on the matter. So a very notable thing here is there's actually a way for Democrats to basically kick the can to Republicans without fully weighing in. Or they can just vote present on the motion to vacate instead of voting for or against it. Or they could just decide to skip the vote entirely. Both moves that could lower the threshold of votes needed to just enough so that his Republican supporters could rescue him and outnumber the far-right faction. But at the same time, there's also very much a world where Democrats decide, you know what, fuck this dude. And give the Republican hardliners enough votes to oust him, right? Because as the New York Times explained, most Democrats in the House consider him an unreliable partner, particularly since he waited until the last minute to meet them in the middle over the spending fight. And adding, many are also angry with him for announcing last month that the House would begin an impeachment inquiry into President Biden despite no evidence of personal wrongdoing. So really, the only way to end this story is to say, grab your popcorn and let's see how this thing plays out. This might just be a speed bump, but it could also be a full-on circus. And then, let's talk about yesterday, today, where we take a look at the last show where we covered a lot of news. We dive into those comments and check out your opinions, your feelings, and your experiences. Starting with the lighter bit of news that was in the comments, with that being focused on the obsession around Taylor Swift and this whole NFL thing, which I gotta, I gotta personally say, it was fun the first week, but it has now become so just fucking incredibly annoying. And it's not even the people involved. I'm a fan of Taylor Swift. I'm a fan of Travis Kelsey. I actually wa like watching the Chiefs. They've got an all-time great quarterback, an all-time great coach, just a fun team to watch. And I will say, as a Jets fan after last night, I'm a little salty about that, but it also goes past that. They introduced the game with Carson Daly doing, uh, what, at least 60 seconds of Taylor Swift puns? But also just even little things like during the game, they, Kansas City's running back, Pacheco, he sliced through the Jets' defense, ran like 48 yards for a touchdown. They then immediately cut away to Taylor Swift, who's hugging people like their, their district just won the fucking Hunger Games. They're like, fuck your celebration. This is the Taylor show. Which, hey, I gotta say, props to her and her team. They were like, you know what? If the NFL is gonna exploit me, I'm gonna put ads for my movie coming out. But if it's not already happening, another week of this is just gonna turn the, the, the Kansas City Chiefs into like the bad guys of the league. Which as a football fan, sucks because I actually I like the Chiefs I don't this I don't think this involves any of the people that are actually be, being talked about right it's kind of like I like watching the Bills because Josh Allen and uh, Stefan Diggs when they're at their top of the game they're amazing to watch when Tua and Tyreek are in sync so fun. You've got like official NFL accounts having Taylor Swift as their banner on Instagram. They're like, the Chiefs are 2-0 as Swifties. Like again, just as a fan of everyone involved, it's just so cringy. And if the NFL continues down this path, like it could actually damage these other people's brands. And I will say, while I know a lot of you watching are not sports fans, it, I do not feel like I'm alone in this feeling of like, it's just weird what the, the companies are doing. But in other comments, people didn't seem on board with Tinder's new concept, writing that it's gone from two people who are interested in each other can talk to pay us $500 to chat up people who aren't 
not interested. Then regarding the Britney Spears situation, you had a lot of people not knowing how they felt, like because they really don't know what's going on. But Bailey adding to that conversation, once you're labeled crazy, it's hard for people to see you as not crazy. I think that's what's happening for Britney and I feel bad for her. And then of course, finally, there was just a lot of reactions of people being horrified by the murder of that 15 year old. With people also sharing their own stories. Like I was cyber stalked from 2011 to 2012, saying it was terrifying. He stalked me across all platforms for the better part of a year and saying I reported him to every website, but nothing was ever done. I called the local police, but was told they couldn't do anything because I wasn't in danger. I just had to wait for him to get bored. Meanwhile, I was subjected to homophobic slurs, harassment, and threats of eternal damnation, which made my newly diagnosed complex PTSD that much worse. Well, obviously I don't have the time to showcase all of them. I, I do want to thank everyone that shared their own experiences because it really does give clarity to and give a different point of view of people who have never lived that life. With many women sharing their stories of like uh, the people around them not understanding. With comments like the countless times I've had male friends chime in and say, why not say something back towards men making unwanted advances is so frustrating. It's like, I want these men to feel the way I do when they make me uncomfortable, but it could cost me my life. It feels like a never-ending cycle that we're forced to endure because we're women. And noting I have my partner now that goes with me most places, so I don't have to deal with these men very often anymore, but I nor anyone should have to in the first place. In closing, my heart goes out to the family and friends of the girl whose life was taken from her. And that is where a daily dive into the news is going to end. Thank you for watching and being a part of these daily dives in the news. For more news you need to know right now, I got you covered right here. You can click or tap where I got links in the description. But as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces, and I'll see you right back here for more news tomorrow.